Scene 3. The Oregon Tale. Amphitheater at Thor's base, Shentlepiece City, Hawk Moon Day Terse, morning, 10th of April, 1284. Monsieur Lynx, I wanted to thank you for saving my life, and I need to tell you that my father was right, even though I didn't want to hear it at the time. You deserve to win. You improvised a new solution to an old problem, and I'm sure you will make one of the finest officers the Ivy League has ever seen. Lynx's eyebrows soften, and he stares at his feet for a few moments to hide the gush of flustered emotions. When he recovers, he looks Florence straight in the eyes and says, I was wrong about your father. I assumed he was just a dishonest, power-hungry politician like the rest of them. But your father had the courage to break nearly every social convention among the Tuscarora elves to stand up for me in public. You have that kind of courage, too. I'm sure you'll make one of the finest umpires-in-chief the Tuscarora elves have ever seen. Xena stomps up from behind them and says, Mr. Lynx, dear, what was it you were saying about becoming the finest umpire-in-chief? The Mademoiselle Umpire-in-Chief's daughter is just about to deliver an important announcement, isn't that right? Mademoiselle Xena! Dungaree Jean calls out from the middle of the crowd of her bravos, pushing Johnny Appleseed up in a medieval version of a wheelchair. Though he puts on a brave face, it's clear his leg is still in a lot of pain. Keep it down, Xena, dear. I can see that you're gloating from way back here. Zena gives her mother a full-on teenager huff and says, Mother, we were simply having a discussion about future policy here. There is no mudslinging involved. Is there, Mademoiselle Florence? Florence hesitates. She knows she's supposed to play dumb, but Zena's gloating gets under her skin in a way that would make lice and maggots jealous. Zena presses on. We've been best friends since childhood. We wouldn't sink so low as to make baseless accusations against each other, would we? Dungaree Jean is humiliated by her daughter's behavior and says sharply, Mademoiselle Zena! Struggling to maintain her self-control, Florence decides it's time to change topics. Why, Reverend Appleseed, what happened to your leg? Johnny Appleseed doesn't understand a word of Eldrick, so Dungaree Jean translates into English. Before he has a chance to respond, Link says, The Monsieur Ngannion pushed him over the edge. Florence forces a laugh. <laughs> that jokester tries my patience all the time. But but what happened to his leg? Lynx presses on. No, he literally shoved the good reverend over the edge of Thor's base. Miraculously, a branch caught him, but the fall twisted his leg bad. Florence can't believe it. He can be devious at times, but the Monsieur and Ganyon would never do anything like that. Never say never, dear. With a big cocky grin, Ganyon rushes forward on his crutches to greet them. At Ganyon's heels walks old Mother Hubbard's dog. The shock has not washed off Florence's face when she stammers. But you could have killed him. You know, the thought had occurred to me, says Nganyan, as if he were incapable of taking anything seriously. I was just giving him a friendly pat on the back to welcome him to Shentlepiece City, and I slipped. Lynx looks at Nganyan's leg and asks sarcastically, So is that why you decided to fake a leg injury? After all, misery loves company. Nganyan cannot be outdone in sarcasm. Exactly. Mr. Lynx, you are the only one who understands the way I think. Besides, these crutches happen to match my new jacket. He is wearing a plain black leather coat. As the scion of a family of immense wealth, he normally wears a considerably more elaborate white coat studded with jewels and embroidered with gold filigree. Are we supposed to ask what happened to your old coat, Monsieur Nganyan? asks Dungaree Jean. 
As a matter of fact, I sold it and used some of the money to buy this one, and I gave the rest to poor old Madame Hubbard. She was so happy that she ran to the baker to buy her dog some bread, but it died while she was out. Then she called the undertaker to measure it for a funeral, but the dog got up again and started laughing. She was too spooked out to keep him, so I told her I'd look after him for her. That's quite a story, young elf, says Dungaree Jean skeptically. Johnny Appleseed points to the dog and rambles on in English. And Ganyan asks, What's he saying? Dungaree Jean looks at him seriously. He says your dog's undead. He's worried that if the Inquisition finds out that certain Tuscarora elves have been using his gift of black flame to dabble in necromancy. And Ganyan interrupts her. You don't say! I'd love to hear all about it, except I want a good seat for this Thor's shtick. Those three magi look nerdtastic. After the group wanders off their separate ways, Dungaree Jean breathes a sigh of relief. Her hired bravos roll Johnny Appleseed into the amphitheater while she hustles after Florence. Johnny Appleseed loves children, and he asks the bravos to wheel him closer. The big human and the scuzzy bravos make some parents nervous, but Johnny Appleseed comes ready with tricks to delight them all. He pulls the tip off his thumb, plucks coins out of their pointy ears, and snaps a rope in two, then connects the halves back together. When she catches up to her, Dungaree Jean pulls Florence aside. I just want to apologize for my daughter's behavior. She seems to think that she'll appear more confident in herself if she walks around as smug and haughty as... As the Monsieur and Ganyan? Florence finishes her sentence, knowing that Dungaree Jean would never say it out loud. I know that the Mademoiselle Zena looks up to him in every way, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I am the one to owe you an apology, because I accused you publicly of treason without there even being an official case against you. The garden gnomes are furious that I ruined Bartleby's reputation without a fair trial. It has harmed the trust that many high elf families put in their garden gnome employees. They demanded that I resign from the elections. Posh! What do garden gnomes have to say about our electoral processes? Florence looks at her with a grim seriousness that ages her face far beyond her nineteen years. Reverend Appleseed was right. My father has been toying with necromancy, and the Inquisition is here. Impossible! Well, it turned out well for your daughter. The Inquisitor healed her from a nasty injury. For the rest of us, it's not going so well. The Inquisition is demanding that we extinguish all our black flame braziers, and that my father turns over all his necromantic artifacts. And that my father turns over all his necromantic artifacts. What did your father say? He planned to kill the Inquisitor, but the Inquisitor is a dwarf, and now the dwarves are angry as well. They insist we comply with his demands. Dungaree Jean touches her lip. Oh dear, this is serious. How can the mountain dwarves and garden gnomes help an outsider encroach upon our rights and our sovereignty? We have an ancient alliance. Apparently, they consider necromancy a weapon and feel that we have violated the terms of our alliance by secretly developing a new weapon without sharing that information with them. Hmm. Dungaree Jean, a natural negotiator, is straining her brain to find a way out. A part of her hopes that Florence wins the election because she cringes at the thought of Zena's haughtiness on a power trip like that. Another part calculates the benefits of being the mother of the reigning umpire-in-chief. Either way, if Florence withdraws from the ballot, Zena would be the only candidate left, and, by law, the Council of Perfects would have to call off the elections and start the nomination process over from scratch. Dungaree Jean says, But, Mademoiselle Florence, you can't quit the race. You've come too far. With studied calm, Florence replies, Yes, I can. Bury my heart. Appleseed is on his way to stealing the show when Florence walks past him up onto the stage. Something is clearly bothering her. 
but she puts on her game face and speaks. Madames, mademoiselles, messieurs, ladies, gentles, and guests, I have often had the privilege of introducing the Thor's Enlightenment discourse on behalf of my father whenever the affairs of state have conflicted with his ability to attend this pleasant occasion to learn and socialize. Sadly, this will be the last time I have that honor. She pauses as if doing her best not to cry, then takes a deep breath and continues. The great dwarf warlord, Jim Stein Hardbones, after repulsing multiple assaults of the five armies against his heavy infantry, said, I am constant as the northern star of whose true fixed and resting quality has no fellow in the firmament. My seafaring dark elf relatives have told me that even the best sailors at times lose track of the course they have plotted and can only find their way once night settles and reveals the North Star. We all lose our way now and then. First, we welcome these polar elves as our guests for this Ted. Before they begin, I must make an apology for one way in which I was blown off course and hurt the innocent. At our last empirical election debate, I accused the Dungarees stewardess of stealing the secret to elf fire. That accusation was false. The entire Bartleby affair was a simple misunderstanding, which I inflated to unreasonable proportions. It all started when Bartleby came up with a fabulous recipe for acorn pie and got so excited about it that she wrote it down for a gnome friend of hers who happened to work for us at Vancey Estates. My knowledge of Narachi is informal at best, and when I read its heading, I misinterpreted the letter that she sent to her friend on our estate. She wrote at the top of her note, Fire Elf Recipe for Acorn Pie. The Narachi word for acorn, diargon, is similar to the word for secret, diargol. On top of that, the word order in their language is completely different than ours. So I thought she wrote, Secret Recipe for Elf Fire. It was all a big misunderstanding. I jumped to conclusions and pounced upon the opportunity to discredit my political opponent. In the process, I ruined the professional reputation of Mistress Bartleby Scrivener and hurt the good name of the Dungarees family. For that, I am deeply sorry. Zena is standing at the edge of the stage and comes over and gives Florence a big theatrical hug, weeping and stating loudly in runic, Naturally, I forgive thee, my dearest, kindest, best friend. Oh, how it burdens my soul to think of the weight these elections have put upon our lifelong friendship. But I know that thou wouldst never... Their exchange is cut short by a roaring scream. Lynx Cougarson comes riding down the serpentine aqueduct on a dwarven shield, leaning into the twists and turns like a pro. He lets out a full-bellied, yee 